Benedict XVI has published his apostolic letter called Porta Fidei, or Door of Faith in English. This document officially calls for the Year of the Faith. Greetings, this is Father Jeff Kirby. And this is Valerie Soup. And we are opening the Porta Fidei. The Door of Faith, the show that explores the catechism of the Catholic Church in light of this year of faith. In our show today, we're going to be discussing numbers 80 to 83 in the catechism of the Catholic Church. You know, Valerie, this part of the catechism actually discusses the relationship between sacred tradition and sacred scripture. And I'm always amazed in speaking with non-Catholic Christians who sometimes are really frustrated or confused when it comes to the Catholic Church or, or Catholic believers, they come across as like, well, you don't believe in the Bible. What are you talking Have about? Have you been to the Mass? <laughs> right, exactly. Exactly. Biblical celebration, you know what I mean? And they're like, well, you, you know, you, you don't understand the Bible. You don't believe the Bible. It's like, what are you talking about? You know, now, oftentimes there are other parts associated with this. But one of the arguments is that, well, you don't accept the authority of the Scriptures. Like, what? Of course we do. Of course we do. What are you speaking about? And of course, they see the fact that we also accept the authority of tradition as diminishing the authority of the scriptures. Mm -hmm. Now, number 80 of the Catechism of the Catholic Church tells us that sacred tradition and sacred scripture then are bound closely together and communicate one with the other. So there's Mm -hmm. a communication. These are two modes, scripture and tradition, of one common source of revelation. The past couple of shows, we've talked about revelation. Now, there's just one common source, but we see two modes of communication as Catholics, both scripture and tradition. This is very important for us, and we're going to discuss why that's important in our show today. Father Kirby, I just want to ask you, though, that phrase, one common source, that revelation, there's one common source of revelation, and then these two modes— I'm pretty sure that that caused a whole lot of controversy during the Second Vatican Council and that that belief that revelation comes from one common source is a relatively new idea that was confirmed and came about in the Second Vatican Council. Uh, Well, that's true. And and especially, of course, this is the 50th anniversary this year of the Second Vatican Council. Mm -hmm. It's one of the reasons why we have this year of faith. And, and, And you're accurate, Valerie. That was a huge debate amongst the Council Fathers. In fact, Probably the single largest debate. A lot of times people think that the debates of the Vatican Council, Second Vatican Council, dealt with the liturgy or right. some area. Mm-hmm. But not at all, actually. Um, in fact, the liturgy was an easy constitution. The, the document on the liturgy was actually easily approved by the Council Fathers. The one that caused a big debate was the Constitution on Divine Revelation, of which this part of the Catechism of the Catholic Church is quoting. And what is the relationship between scripture and tradition and the debate continued and of course it eventually eventually resolved in this conclusion that there is one source because oftentimes people say one or two sources scripture and tradition no there's one source the revelation itself christ Mm -hmm. and from that we have two modes of communication of that one common source. Maybe could you explain to our listeners why was that a controversy and what are the implications of it being just one source as opposed to two sources? Well, there's a lot of uh, theological views at that time, and some of them, of course, have truth. It it, it was never a point of disagreement. It's just a point of emphasis. Mm -hmm. So, for example, there was a strong belief that there was actually one source in the sense of tradition was the source, and Scripture was kind of the stepchild born from tradition. Okay. 
there's some important parts of that, mm-hmm. but taken together, it's mistaken. There's also a belief that, well, there's just two sources that we have the scriptures and we have tradition and so on. The problem with that is the opposite extreme. We have to be careful that these two sources of revelation almost come across too autonomous as if we had tradition on one side and scripture on the other. And that is a common view of many Americans and Westerners because of the presence of Protestant Christianity Mm. where the scripture stands alone. Okay, so we have the scriptures and we also happen to have tradition. Like, wait a minute, wait a minute here. Yeah. You know, listen to what number 80 also continues, which is, is very poetic and beautiful. For both of them, that of course is scripture and tradition, flowing out from the same divine wellspring, come, to, come together in some fashion to form one thing and move towards the same goal. So, again, this complementarity by stressing mm-hmm. there's two modes, but one common source. It shows both the distinctiveness but also the interconnectedness of these two modes of communication. Now, why is this important? Like, why? <laughs> someone could say, you know what, I just want Jesus. Yeah. Okay? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, why is this important? Because as we've said in previous shows, we want to make sure that the teachings we have are authentic. How can we know that? Is we have to make sure that the modes of communication are authentic. We have to understand how God is speaking to us. It's very mm-hmm. important. Scripture is at the heart of the church. No Catholic who practices the faith will ever diminish the importance, utter importance, of the written Word of God. Mm-hmm. But we also see that there is an oral Word of God that we cannot neglect because of its essential role in Christian revelation and in our life as Christian believers. Absolutely. Ooh, that, that was very, a lot, though, huh? It was a lot. Um, I hope our <laughs> listeners found that interesting. I am a lover of history. Yeah, you were sleeping. Huh? <laughs> yeah. Okay, time to wake up now. <laughs> no, but I think it's interesting because we forget that the catechism of the Catholic Church is new. That's why, you know, we're doing the show. You know, the catechism, it was a big deal that they put it together. It was only 20 years ago that it came about. And so I think we can just read this in the catechism and think, okay, yeah, yeah, just one common source. And we forget that a lot of work goes into the church saying that something is the way it is, that is true. And just knowing that there was controversy and debate and, you know, that this was really thought about and prayed over and that all of these things, just the seriousness with which the church approaches the truths of God, me as, you know, came in as a convert, um, just seeing that, how serious the Catholic Church takes this transmission of truth that it wants to make sure that it gets it exactly right. Absolutely. You know, I think sometimes for the secular mindset, they might look at the teachings of the Christian faith. They might look at our explanation of the modes of communication Mm -hmm. of these truths. And oftentimes people want to say, you know, what's the big deal? And of course, that is born from a misbelief that all this is fantasy anyway. Right. I mean, really, you know, who cares if it was really seven dwarfs or five dwarfs? Right. You know, in the sense of like Snow White or something. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times people just want to dismiss this. But for those of us who are believers, we know that this is real. Mm-hmm. God is real. Mm-hmm. The passing on of this truth is mm-hmm. real. The truth itself mm-hmm. is real. So for us, it's very important how this is given to us, more importantly, how God has designed for this to be given to us. Mm -hmm. So we want to be very attentive. And as you're saying, the the church has always been and will always be very attentive to this because this affects the very integrity of what we're teaching. Yeah. 
I believe in Jesus and I want to know everything that he taught. And if he taught something orally that wasn't written down explicitly, you know, I don't want to just ignore and neglect some really important and beautiful gifts that he gave. I don't want to miss out on discovering all of these gifts that are found in tradition with a capital T, all these things that were transmitted orally. If we dismiss all of the tradition, we're missing out on that. And so for the believer who loves Jesus, you want to know everything that he wanted to give us and to tell us. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, understanding this truth and, and what the Lord has established so that we might be able to encounter that truth is very important. And we know the, the great expression we, we've used it here on the show before that if we're going to speak about truth mm-hmm. and about knowing God and knowing truth, that's so important because we can only love what we know. Right. You don't really start to love somebody until you actually get to know them. You know, you might know of their existence, but just knowing that some person exists doesn't inspire love for that person. It's once you start to really know, not just know about the person, but also really know them. In order to love the truth, we do have to know it. And that the Lord would give it to us, bestow it as a gift, that he would gift us with offices, of apostles and bishops in order to help us. And so oftentimes I think people, they want to approach the gifts of God and they say, okay, these are the blessings, these mm-hmm. gifts. This is this is what God wants to give me. And these offices, bishops, priests, apostles in the early church, well, these are necessary evils. And there's almost that anti-authority tendency yeah. that we, we've spoken about it at different times in our show. And we have to really call that in check and say, no, wait a minute. The gift of God is not only the gifts and the truths but also the offices from which and through which we receive these truths. So the fact that the bishop would teach Christ's teachings, that's the gift of the teachings, but also the office of the bishop is the gift. Mm. And for us, we see both are important as we speak about this passing on this transmission of faith. And in this one common source, we have two modes, uh, which we've been speaking about. We want to dive a little bit more. Number 81, number 82 the Catechism of the Catholic Church speaks about uh, the sacred scriptures and sacred tradition just a little bit. Number 81 reads, Sacred scripture is the speech of God as it is put down in writing under the breath of the Holy Spirit. So there's the scriptures, the Bible. Secondly, and holy tradition transmits in its entirety the word of God, which has been entrusted to the apostles by Christ the Lord and the Holy Spirit. It transmits it to the successors of the apostles, so enlightened by the spirit of truth, they may faithfully preserve, expound, and spread it abroad by their preaching. So we have the sacred scriptures. We have sacred tradition. Now, here's the point of these numbers. Mm -hmm. Here was the debate of the Second Vatican Council, and here are the teachings of the church. What is the relationship between sacred scripture and sacred tradition? Now, we want to continue on with these numbers, but let me just maybe give an example to our listeners. might appreciate this or not. You know. <laughs> Imagine that sacred tradition is a walk in the park. Okay. And there are monuments of sacred tradition right. as we walk. So in the early church, as tradition, and again, that is the lived way of life with the risen Christ. Mm-hmm. It is fluid. It is an active verb. Okay. So we're all together. And then all of a sudden we see this monument of the Old Testament. Well, look, there's 46 books there, okay? Mm -hmm. 
And then slowly the church begins to canonize, to create a list of approved books for the New Testament, what we would call the New Testament. Okay. And we begin to have that monument. Well, then eventually the church in her prudence is going to say, you know what? This monument is not like all the others. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like going to a cemetery and you have all the little grave sites, uh-huh. gravestones, and all of a sudden you see this humongous one. You know, it's like, Something's wow. Something's different. Exactly, exactly. You know, so what's going on here? Well, then the church realized this and began then to discern mm-hmm. why is this monument unlike the others mm-hmm. and began to realize that this particular monument of the sacred scriptures had been given certain graces by God. First, of inerrancy. Mm-hmm. They cannot err, make a mistake in areas of faith and morals. So all the truths of salvation will be guaranteed. Okay, inerrancy. Secondly, of inspiration. Mm-hmm that God has written these letters, these books, through human authors, the Word of God and the language of man. So because this monument has received these powerful gifts, the church takes it out of the park Mm -hmm. and it becomes concurrent and next to the park as its own mode of communication. So that's why we say that the scriptures are born from tradition. Yes. That's what we mean. But now it's not that tradition is, well, you know, the, the second cousin that's kind of just come in from the country. No, the sacred scriptures now stand as parallel to mm-hmm. the tradition which gave, which gave it birth, but it stands on its own. And the dynamism between the two are essential. Yeah. Okay, that's a lot. What do you think? No, I like it. I think it gives that image that scripture and tradition are next to each other and they complement one another and they almost feed off of each other. Scripture was born from tradition, but also our tradition is informed by scripture. And Absolutely. so there's this give and take. And it's, it's exciting. And once we begin to understand that, this this dynamism, this back and forth and, and this mutual you know, diving and, and exploring of this revelation of, of who God is, who we are. Oh, my goodness, that just makes the Christian walk that much more exciting. Mm-hmm. The fact that we would see this back and forth, that mm-hmm. there is no static here. One cannot begin to speak of static terms when one speaks of the work of God's Holy Spirit in the midst of the church in this powerful work that we're describing. You are joining Porta today. We want to thank you for tuning in and for listening. We are exploring the Catechism of the Catholic Church, numbers 80 to 83, continuing our discussion on the relationship between the sacred scriptures and sacred tradition. Now, Valerie, I want to take us to number 82, and we can look at that for a little bit. Yeah. So it says, as a result, now this is the result of all this transmission, this passing on of the truth that we, we've been speaking about. Right, mm-hmm. As a result, the church to whom the transmission and interpretation of revelation, we've been talking about that now, is entrusted. The church does not derive her certainty about all revealed truths from the Holy Scriptures alone. Uh-oh. Oh, yes. Yes, you heard that right. Exactly. Exactly. So we do not derive our truths and our certainty from the Holy Scriptures alone. Both Scripture and tradition must be accepted and honored with equal sentiments of devotion and reverence. All right. Well, we, we've been saying that a little bit, but there there it is. What, what do you think about that? Yes, it's a both and. It's not either or, but both scripture and tradition must be accepted and honored equally. 
yes, we love scripture. We love the Bible. We are a Bible-believing church. (laughs) Amen. Amen. (laughs) But we also have tradition. Here we have the catechism saying that we don't derive truths solely from one or the other. We take from both. Absolutely. You know, in our last show, we talked a little bit about the catacombs and the Mm -hmm. various evidences of the early Christian church and and the community and and the surprise of some people when they see these things and they ask, well, where's that in the Bible? And it's like, well, (laughs) the Bible had not been written yet, you know. So with that same idea here, I think that oftentimes people will ask us, particularly as Catholic Christians, you know, where does that belief come from? So, for example, you know, praying to the saints, where does that come from? We want to see that in the scriptures. Well, we can show glimpses or indications mm-hmm. of it here and there and, and various places and so on. You know, obviously, it, it's there in some form. But, of course, oftentimes the non-Catholic Christian wants it definitively spelled out mm-hmm. and clear. And, and that's first of all, that's not why their scriptures were written. They weren't written as theology books or right. treatises or biographies of Jesus and so on. So it's not going to be there. But while we can point to glimpses, we can also say with honesty, well, it's glimpsed there and so on, but it's not there in the form that you're looking for it. Yeah. You know, they say, well, then why would you believe it? And for us, we say, well, look at tradition. Like, we'll look at the early church. Before we even had a New Testament, we see the prayers of the early Christian church to the martyrs who died for the faith. We see their devotion to the mother of God. We see their devotion to the apostles. For us, it's, it's the way of life, which is the tradition, which continues. to say, well, we've always done this. Mm-hmm. from the time of Christ in the early church, yep. which is why it's a glimpse in the scriptures. But you're not going to find it in a formula or in the explicit way that some people want. And and I think for some Christians, that really scandalizes them. Yeah. You know, it's like, you're adding to the Bible. You're adding, you're making Christianity complicated. Wait a minute. We are approaching Christ in the way in which he taught us right? and the way in which we have done it since he walked to this earth. So it's not that we're adding things to mm-hmm. Christianity as some people are perhaps too comfortable in taking things away. Yes. And to be fair, we know that people who ask those questions are sincere in their love oh, yes. for the Bible and yes. the scriptures. But I think often we just we just need a good history lesson. Like the question of, well, where did that come from? And they're looking for an answer in the Bible. And it's like, you're really asking the question backwards. You know, this existed before the Bible. And so it's just, you almost are like, how do I answer that? Because the question's not right. Not all of our beliefs are spelled out explicitly in scripture, even something as foundational as the Trinity. All Christians affirm and believe it's one God, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But please show me in scripture where that is explicitly spelled out. So we have to be intellectually honest. Not all of these teachings are spelled out as we would like them to be in the Bible. It would be a lot easier if they were, (laughs) um, but they're not. And that's not how God chose to reveal the truth and have it transmitted and passed on. And the way that they desire it, you know, the the spelled out formula, the explicit nature— is given to us mm-hmm. by sacred tradition, which was the lived faith. It is the lived faith yes. of the community. So it's like we almost want to say it's there. It's right here. And they're like, well, no, that doesn't count. Right. <laughs> it's like, wait a minute. If you deny that this can be born, this teaching can be born from this sacred tradition, then don't you almost implicitly deny the source of the sacred scriptures themselves? Yeah. You know, and of course, as you, you describe, these questions sometimes have to be asked. Right. You know? 
But Valerie, in our last show, you were kind of teasing with our listeners, and uh, oh. I have to call you on it. Yeah, yeah, you know it was coming. So, a number eighty-three of the Catechism of the Catholic Church speaks about the difference between, as you describe it, capital T tradition yes. and lowercase t tradition. On the last show, you talked about them. Mm-hmm. And of course, I made a joke about Mr. T. Yes, I'm going to do it again because I, I pity the fool. But I'm wondering, after making our listeners wait, if we might go ahead and describe a little bit about that. So yes. what do you Thanks mean by this? Thanks for calling me out, Father Kirby. <laughs> yes, we mentioned it on the last show, but we didn't totally explain it. But we mentioned that distinction between Tradition with a capital T and tradition with a lowercase t, a little t. The way of the life of the church, all of that truth that was transmitted orally, that wasn't written down, but that was lived out, and that tradition that continues to be passed down from the apostles to their successors still living today, that is a tradition with a capital T. However, the tradition with a lowercase t, the catechism will say it better than I can. Um, If we look at number 83... The Catechism talks about apostolic tradition with a capital T and ecclesial traditions, the lowercase t. Ecclesial, you know, being an adjective just describing these little traditions that we find in the church. And so the Catechism makes this distinction and it says that tradition, capital T, is to be distinguished from the various theological, disciplinary, liturgical, or devotional traditions, little t. Little t. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Father. <laughs> That'd be great. I'll see tradition, and then you say if it's big or little t. Okay. Perfect. Okay. okay. The, and that these are born in the local churches over time. These are the particular forms adapted to different places and times in which the great tradition capital T is expressed. In the light of tradition, capital T, these traditions, lowercase t, can be retained, modified, or even abandoned under the guidance of the church's magisterium, the oh, teaching yeah. authority. Okay. So, thank you for your help, Father Kirby. I try. I, I try. It. I try. Thank you. <laughs> um, so we have this distinction. So I think a lot of time when we think the word tradition we automatically think of the traditions little t. We think of rituals, customs. Like we think, oh, my favorite Christmas tradition is making Christmas cookies with my family. That's a ritual, you know, a lowercase t tradition. But that's very different from the big t tradition that we put on par with Scripture. Yes, yes. In fact, St. Paul oftentimes will condemn the almost obsession with lowercase t traditions in the scriptures. And then yet concurrently, and if someone doesn't understand this distinction, they could get very confused because then he will go on to say, I pass on to you what I have received. And of course, that word is the word tradition, that he is passing on a tradition. And there are other places where he will argue for a perseverance in the tradition. Someone could say, well, what is the difference here? Is is Paul confused or what? And, of course, Paul here has very clearly this distinction of capital T traditions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got it. And lowercase t traditions. But let's play a game, Valerie. All right. All right. I like here games. we go. I will say something, and you let me know whether it is a capital T or lowercase t tradition. How about that? <laughs> okay. All right. Sounds good. So, ashes on our foreheads. Hmm. Mm, I am going to go with lowercase t. Lowercase t. I would agree. I would All agree. Right. The Divinity of Jesus Christ. Capital T. <laughs> Capital T. Easy okay. one, thank you. All right, awesome, awesome. Abstaining from meat on Fridays and or Fridays of Lent. Lowercase T. Lowercase T, I like that. Oh, watch out, watch out. And then, of course, I'll, I'll give you this one. You've already mentioned it, but the Trinity. Capital T. Capital T. How about, and we'll go and push things for a little bit for our listeners. 
How about the Assumption of Mary? Capital T. Capital T, of course. That's the belief that Our Lady, body and soul, was assumed into heaven after her earthly life. So absolutely capital T, belief in the early church. Powerful, powerful teaching. What about the rosary? Mm, I'm going to say lowercase lowercase t. t exactly that's okay. you know many people Whew. can pray the rosary some prefer other prayer forms and so mm-hmm. on you know so it's a it's a devotion it's a, a tradition lowercase d what about may processions where we crown our lady a statue of mary and so on you know lowercase t lowercase t absolutely so what about the immaculate conception that mary was conceived Without original sin. Big T. Big T. (laughs) I like this. It's like, big T. Exactly. And obviously, we've enjoyed this. This has been a little fun. But for our listeners, we we just wanted to draw that distinction so we can begin to see in practical terms the differences. And once we see it and we hear examples, Mm -hmm. oh, okay, I understand. Yeah. Because we can never let the lowercase t traditions get in the way. No. You know, so I know, for example, right now, thanks be to God for our new Holy Father, who, of course, this past year has dispensed with many lowercase t traditions in our church and is very comfortable doing that. Mm-hmm. And, of course, he's fine. If he doesn't want to wear red shoes or, you know, shoulder capes or if he doesn't want to do various things, he's not bound and those traditions that the catechism tells us can be modified, changed, or even dismissed. Right. But will the Pope ever change capital T tradition, Valerie? No. <laughs> <laughs> he better not. He better he not. not. He yeah. better not. No. Exactly. And of course, he, he won't. We, he won't. We know by the guidance of the Holy Spirit, thanks be to God. The Pope, as the Bishop of Rome, as, as St. Peter, really among us, as the leader of the church, we know he will never change the capital T traditions that... Right. Those are given to us by God. That is the revelation we've been speaking about. Mm-hmm. And that comes from the the promise that Jesus gave to Peter when he said, you are Peter and upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Amen. Right? Yes. I like that. Matthew 16 is powerful. Oh, yeah. Powerful. And, and, and as you say that, I'm just reminded of what you were saying earlier, uh, that when we approach the office of the Pope or of our bishops or our local bishop, like what a consolation. Mm. Do you know that Mm -hmm. in all these matters, capital T tradition, lowercase t tradition, what is this, what is that, that in so many ways while we're a part of this and we're an active part of this and this is a part of our life, there's a part too where there's an apostolic office that has been given to us by Christ that's going to help us, going to teach us what we need to know, specify and clarify things. So if Pope Francis wants to dispense some lowercase t traditions, let's do it. (laughs) You know what I mean? And that, of course, is... All of these lowercase t traditions, and we say this especially to all Catholics, but especially to our Protestant neighbors, that all these lowercase t traditions are meant to accentuate and apply the capital T traditions in our daily lives. Why do we abstain from meat? To remind ourselves of essential truths. Why do we observe certain devotions or practices in faith? In order to remind ourselves every day of this transmission of faith, the Mm -hmm. transmission that God desires all men to be saved. Yeah, I was reading a great article the other day. It reminded me of this. When we see something beautiful and something that seems to touch eternity, we want to relive that moment again and again. So, for example, when you hear a song that is truly beautiful, you just can't get enough of it. It never becomes stale. It never gets old if it is truly beautiful. And you want to listen to it again and again. And in the same way, that's what some of these rituals are. When I genuflect, 
when I go down on one knee before I enter the pew at church, I'm going to do that again and again because I can never get tired of showing reverence to Christ in the Eucharist. It's true that if you get rid of the meaning, then they can just become empty actions. But if we understand what we're doing and why, as you said, those little T traditions can be very beautiful in the way that they remind us of the truths of the faith and try to simulate eternity in doing it over and over and over again. Absolutely. That's powerful. I love that. I love that. And you mentioned songs and stuff like that. And, and you mentioned to me before our show uh-huh. that you wanted to sing for our listeners. Oh, gosh. No, Father <laughs> no? Kirby. Okay. No, no. no. I was just wondering. I just wanted to offer you that in case, uh, you know. You can't okay. just put me on the spot like that. <laughs> okay. I just, you know, I just want to offer, okay? So, but with those lowercase three traditions, I'll tell you as a priest, oftentimes, like, to see so many of these traditions, like, you know, whether it's the May procession or the procession of the First Holy Communicants or Confirmation or a Catholic wedding, mm. we have so many of these lowercase t traditions. It does so accentuate our faith and it makes things so much more beautiful yeah. in the sense of taking beauty and bringing it into our lives. And so oftentimes when I see that, I just, I just think, you know, it is a great being Catholic. It's a great church. Amen. Well, we want to thank our listeners for joining us today, and we hope that you will tune in for our next episode of Porta Fidei. May God bless and keep you. And have a peaceful day. This is Father Jeff Kirby. You can reach me at charlestonvocations.com as well as on Facebook, also Charleston Vocations. Hope you visit our website or visit us on Facebook. Thanks. And this is Valerie Soup. You can reach me at the website catholicyoungadultsofsc.com. That's catholicyoungadultsofsc for South Carolina.com. And you can also follow us on Facebook and on Twitter.